So today we're going to talk about giving. Um, and, and like three weeks ago, I had Zach uh, Rowan come and preach. Uh, maybe it was four weeks ago now. And Zach preached, and, and he preached the legitimate giving sermon. Mine is just kind of giving on the side. You know, when preachers talk about giving, there's always kind of a, a tightness that, that goes across, I think, everyone's chest. Like the preacher himself feels a little anxiety, and I'm sure some of you out there start clutching a little bit tighter to your, your wallets and your pocketbooks, thinking, my goodness, what is this guy going to going to come and do. We're going to talk generally about giving today, uh, some, some big principles for giving. Um, hopefully it will encourage you as you go through um, our, our, our time together. We're in Mark chapter 14. We've been walking through the book of Mark. We've reached Mark chapter 14, uh, and we're going to start uh, right there at Mark 14, verse 1. Now, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So so we begin this story, uh, this this talk, and and we have this this kind of like uh, setting that's going to take place. And it's two days before Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so we're getting right up to the time of Jesus' betrayal and his death. Uh, We know that that's coming because we've read ahead and we know what's going to happen at the end of the story. Um, But but you have these leaders, these powerful people, these people who have uh, nothing to fear, um, yet they have everything to fear, right? They're they're seeking to arrest Jesus. They're seeking to kill Jesus. And the crime that Jesus has committed is what? He's in their way, right? He's he's violating their uh, convictions, what they think is how things should be done. And so he's just kind of in the way of their happy living. And so you have this class of people, of powerful religious people, right? And, and what, are they, what, what, are, what are they looking to do? They're, they're purposefully seeking to destroy Jesus because they're afraid of him. Fear is a dangerous thing, right? When we, when we function our lives uh, under fear, we make bad decisions, uh, I, I was uh, on uh, Lake or Cedar Creek Lake yesterday uh, with my family. My, most of my family isn't here. My son uh, told me last night as I was getting ready to come back here to preach, he said, Dad, can I come back? I really want to go to church uh, with you. And I thought, how great is that, that my son really wants to go to church with me? And then it goes a little further, and his, his dear friend, Doss Hasselbach, was going to be in town. And he's, it's, he's like, oh, and Doss is also going to be there. And I was like, well, I feel a little bit less special. And he's like, oh, and my girlfriend is probably going to be able to go to church too. And all of a sudden I noticed like it's not, it may not actually be coming to church. That's the highlight there. Um, But Hannah, it's good to have you here with us today as well. Um, And so, um, you know, I was at at Cedar Creek Lake yesterday and and I was with one of my my dear friends. He's a friend of mine um, from my last church, Joshua Walton. And uh, we're in the middle of the lake. My brother has a boat, and it's my brother and Josh and myself and about nine kids are out there uh, messing around in the lake. And we park the boat in a little cove. The water's about 20 feet deep, and the kids are playing around in their life jackets, and we're swimming around them without our life jackets on because, you know, we're, we're tough like that, right? And um, we've been swimming for about 30 minutes, and so, like, treading water for 30 minutes is not easy. I don't, I don't know if y'all are aware of this, but so, like, you know, you take a little breather every once in a while and go to the boat and hang out for two minutes, but then you've got to get back in the water. And so we've been doing this for about 30 minutes, and my friend, who's in substantially better shape than I am, which is hard to imagine, I know, um, but, but my friend who's in substantially better shape than I am, he looks over at this buoy, and it's probably like from here to maybe the back wall of our sanctuary, and he's like, hey, I'll race you to the buoy. 
And, and, I'm th- and I'm right in my mind, right, I'm going through like, okay, I can swim. Like, I'm a fine swimmer. Um, but I've been treading water for 30 minutes, so like my energy level's already low. I'm going to swim to the buoy. But he's really a compelling sort of guy, so I'm like, awesome, let's do it. And so like he beats me because, again, like he's in slightly better shape than I am. Um, but I get to the buoy, and all of a sudden, like I'm at the buoy, and I look back, and the boat is that far away from me, and I'm in 20-foot deep water, and I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> like I'm going to die out here, my... My dear friend found a way to kill me in the lake. You know, and I'm going through all the stories I've heard of like adult men dying in lakes. And I'm like, it's going to be me. I'm going to be in a newspaper article somewhere. Uh, some guy died at Cedar Creek Lake being an idiot. Um, <laughs> and so like I had this like it, it wasn't sheer panic because I wanted to be cool. Right. Um, but like in my mind, I was like, I'm not in a good place. Like safety is way over there. And I don't have any energy left. Now, luckily, we swam against the current of the lake when we swam to the buoy. And so, like, the lake did most of the work of pushing me back to the boat. But I was terrified. And in that moment of fear, like, your mind doesn't work well. Right? When you're scared, your mind doesn't work well. And these leaders are scared of Jesus. They're scared that he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna, uh, take their power. They're not just scared of Jesus, though. they're also scared of the people. It's amazing how powerful people are so insecure. Right? And you can look at that in our politics today. Powerful people, right? If you, if you go after a powerful person, um, man, their insecurity is right there on the surface. You're like, man, you are, you're really thin-skinned. Right? Like you have all this authority and all this power, right? but if someone, someone comes at you or criticizes you, you get really, really worried about it. And that goes all across the spectrum of politics. It's just kind of a nature of power. Powerful people who don't seem to have anything to fear live in great fear. And these people were, were tremendously scared of what Jesus could do, and they refused to give Jesus the honor and devotion that he deserved. Right? They refused. He did not fit for them, and so they feared him, and they wanted to destroy him and get rid of him. And then we have the story takes a turn. And we find this story starting in verse 3. And it says, And while he, that's Jesus, was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table or at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, uh, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And so you start with the story of these uh, powerful people who have great fear and refuse to give Jesus uh, his proper place, refuse to give Jesus um, their devotion and loyalty. Instead, they see him as a threat and seek to destroy him. And then the scene changes to this house in Bethany. And, and as you, if, if you read, there's a couple corresponding uh, accounts of this. John 12 has a pretty lengthy account of this same story. Um, but you have uh, Jesus is in the house in Bethany, and this woman, she's unnamed in the book of Mark, but as we look in the book of John, it's Mary, um, the, the sister of Lazarus. Mary, the sister of Martha, um, is, is the woman who does this, this great thing um, for Jesus. And she has this, this flask of, of, of like perfume. 
right? It's nard, and nard is a, a spice that would be very difficult to get your hands on in that part of the world anyways, and it's a, and it's a whole kind of container of it, and it's super, super valuable, right? In a world where bathing is optional, perfume is not, right? And so perfume becomes very, very valuable in a world where bathing is not that big of a deal. And so she's got this, this jug of this, this flask of it, and it's worth roughly 300 denarii, and, and that doesn't mean much to you, but roughly it's a year's wages, right? So I don't know what the annual, average annual income in America is, 40 grand, 45 grand, but that's what it's worth, right? So like, I know perfume is expensive even now, right? You buy a little jar of perfume and the cr- price per ounce is pretty high, but imagine a $40,000 uh, jug of perfume, and that's basically what it was, right? So it's roughly a, a year's salary worth of, worth of ointment and oil and, and perfume in a jar. And she goes, and she doesn't just take a little, like, splash in her hand and rub it on him, right? She doesn't even, like, dump half of it out and, and just rub it all over his, his head and his body. No, what she does is she literally breaks the flask, right? When you break a, a, an ointment jar, you, you can't put it back in. Right, it's all gone. She she gave it all away. A hundred percent of it was given in devotion to Jesus. And in that moment, right, in the moment when that's happening, she's doing this amazingly generous thing um, for Jesus. You have these disciples, followers of Jesus, who stand up and say, "That was wasteful. That was not a good use of resources. We could have taken that." We could have sold it. We could have given money to the poor. I mean, we could have bought a house. Like, who knows what we could have done with that money. But instead, you just wasted it. Right? And there's people in the world who are very critical of other people's um, devotion to Jesus. Right? I've seen this in families. I've seen it where you've had teenagers who have, who have gotten um, caught by the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Right? All of a sudden, they've grabbed hold of the fact that they're a sinner lost in their sin, and that Christ died for their sin and rose from the dead. And because of that, they have a new life and an opportunity to live a life that's meaningful and purposeful, and they grab onto that. And like all of a sudden, their whole life is reoriented, right? They're, they're going to church, they're going to Sunday school, they're going to Wednesday nights, they're, they're going to everything they can, they're telling their friends about how great Jesus is, they're reading their Bibles, and then all of a sudden, their mom or their dad sees what's happening to their kid, and all of a sudden, they start trying to throw cold water on their kid. I've seen it. I've seen it done dozens of times in my ministry, where a child um, gets, gets, gets passionate about following Jesus Christ, and the person who should be mentoring them in the faith, usually it's a lost person, a lost parent, um, comes and starts to put the brakes on them, right? Starts to, to, to ground them from church, right? Because we don't want them um, going and being a part of church. Um, starts to find other ways to occupy their time so they don't have time to be in personal devotion. Right? There are people who are worried about other people's devotion to Jesus. And these disciples, in the moment when it happened, they looked at what Mary had done, and they said, that is wasteful. That's a wasteful way to handle it. Couldn't we have done more with that money? Couldn't we have found a better way to handle that? Couldn't we have uh, been more responsible with, with what was given or what could have been given there? In the moment, they're, mo- they're, they're not mocking her. They're, they're criticizing her. And Jesus looks at them and he stops them and he tells them to shut up. Right? He says, like, y'all guys don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand what's going on here. But she gave this great gift, 
And not only is it right for her to do it, not only is it the right thing for her to do, we're going to make sure this gets written down so that every time people talk about me, like when they talk fully about me, her story is going to be brought up because she was faithful with much. And the idea there, right, is that, that, that she was being wasteful. But the truth is, it's impossible to be wasteful in your devotion to Jesus Christ. You can be wasteful in a lot of things. Right? You can be wasteful on, on, on your devotion to your children. Right? We can spoil our children. We can spoil them. We can give them what we think we're giving them the best, and really we're not giving them the best. Right? We're just buying them off with this and that. Right? But it's impossible to be wasteful in your devotion to Jesus. Right? It's possible to be wasteful in your devotion to your spouse. I mean, I, I love my wife. She's tremendous. But it's possible for me to spend everything that I have and to give all of my time and my energy and my talents uh, to making her life the very best it could be in whatever qualitative word best is in that sentence. But, it's, it, but in the middle of that, I'm actually doing harm to her. I'm trying to do right for her. I'm trying to go good by her. I'm trying to, uh, to, to treat her the way um, that, that I, I wish she could always be treated. But at the end of the day, uh, I could be destroying who she is. But it's impossible to be wasteful in your devotion to Jesus. Guys, Jesus asks... Uh, us to, to, to be generous in our devotion to him. And the reason that Mary was so generous to Jesus, and this isn't just about giving like stuff um, to kingdom work. It's not just about giving finances to the mission offering or to the church or to uh, other good organizations that are sharing the gospel. Right? We have to be willing to give ourselves fully to the purposes of Jesus Christ. And that means we don't hold ourselves back. You know, that woman had no business being in that room. It doesn't make sense today that women and men would be so segregated. But in that day and age, when, when the men are eating, there was one job that women had when the men were eating at the table. It was to serve the men the food and to leave. That was it. Right? Like, that's not the way it is now. I understand that. But back then, that was the only thing that she needed to do, was to walk in there, here's the food, and be done. But instead, the men are there talking about whatever they're talking about and doing men's stuff, right? Football or whatever it is that's going on in the ancient Near East at that time. And she walks in and she busts that thing open, right? And it's unmistakable. I, I, if, some of y'all have been around junior high boys, right? Junior high boys are the worst people on earth. Um, right, I was one once. I've got a couple. Well, I guess I've only got one right now who's a junior high boy. Um, but man, junior high boys, I've gone to a lot of church camps, and for some reason, Axe body spray, which I don't think is as big of a deal now as it was a few years ago, but man, that stuff is pungently nasty, right? And for some reason, junior high boys think they need to use half a can every time they do anything. And so you'll walk into a locker room, or you'll walk into a, 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 like a dorm room at church camp, and you'll open the door, and you're like, who broke out the Axe? Like, who decided to run, like, because it's... It, like, it hits you in the face. It's mean. Stop it. Ty? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Junior high boy, they, they don't understand. High school boys get a little bit better, but not, 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 they don't have it all figured out yet. Right? And then hopefully by the time we get out of high school, we recognize, like, oh, like, the whole world shouldn't know that I just put on something. Like, it's for people who maybe get close enough to me to care about that. But, but this woman, when she broke that jar and dumped all of that stuff on Jesus, well, you can't hide it. There's no, like, private devotion in that moment. 
If you were to walk down the road, you'd be like, something is going on. You ever like, have someone barbecuing near you, and you're like, ooh, who's got the grill out, right? And you're looking around, you know, checking your neighbor's backyard to see who's got the steaks on right now. Because it's an unmistakable smell. That's what went on. When she cracked that thing open, everybody, everybody in the house and then going out from the house knew, whoa, something just happened there. And not necessarily something good, something stinky, but something just happened in that place, right? It was an unmistakable public act of service. And a lot of us, we like to do our things very privately, right? We think if I can, and I'm not against private devotion to Jesus, dear Lord, please read your Bible, and I don't need to see a picture of it every time you do, right? But, but like some of us, we're scared to publicly love Jesus Christ, right? We, we might wear a cross around our necks, uh, we might, if someone pushes on us, tell them that we attend a church somewhere at some time, right? But really, we like to keep that world kind of under the surface, you know, because we don't want to offend other people. Because not everyone goes to First Baptist Church Rockdale, right? The true church, no. no not, not everyone goes um, to, 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 to a church. Not everyone has a religious backbone, backbone behind them, and, and you don't want to offend them. And so what do we do? We do the exact opposite of what this woman did, which was a public display of devotion, a generous gift to Jesus. No, we do everything as quiet as possible. We're like secret Christians. And we hope maybe through our secrecy sometimes someone might come up to us and say, like, tell me about Jesus. Okay, I'll tell you about Jesus right now. Right? We think that they're going to come to us and whisper to us that they want to know about Jesus. They don't do that. But at some point, people just have to see the one that you love. Right? If, I, if I never told my wife I loved her publicly, if the only time I ever told my wife I loved her was that I would write her a little note, like a Mission Impossible note that would self-destruct after she read it, right? and like, she was the only person who ever knew that. Right? We, we didn't get married publicly. I said, no, I don't want anyone to be embarrassed by the fact that we get married publicly, so I like take her into like a you know, the corner of the Justice Peace Office and get married privately in there, and then we, we sneak out, and then when we go, go, go out in public, like, I make sure I don't touch her, and, like, we're just like, oh, no, we're friends, we're just, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's not love. I don't know what that is, right? That's, that's not love, though. And a lot of us, we treat Jesus that way, right? He, he, he came, he died, he sacrificed. In a minute, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper where we remember the body and blood of Jesus, the body broken for us, the blood poured out for the forgiveness for sin. We're going to remember this great sacrifice of love that Jesus did, and then we're going to go out into the world, whether it's into our schools or our workplaces or in our community, and we're going to be like, I don't want to make a big deal about this. But Jesus is kind of a big deal. What he did was a big deal. The love that he gave to you was a big deal, and so what we should do is respond with wasteful obedience to Jesus. And I don't mean to be like, uh, I don't mean to be insane, but I mean like when other people look at you and say, boy, you're not, you're not handling your business right. You're really kind of all about Jesus right now and not doing other things. That's the goal. The goal isn't, well, I gave my 10% uh, quietly to the church and I read my Bible quietly in my house and Jesus knows that I love him. Jesus knows that I love him and the church might know that I love him too. But the world should know. And they should look at us sometimes and be like, God, do they not understand that they're wasting? Because that gives us a chance to say, no, 
or not. You know, the disciples, the pushback was that the poor needed the help. And the, and the, the fact is, the poor need help. Like, as a church, there, there's not another organization in the history of mankind that has cared as much for the poor as the church. Right? Jesus Christ did not say, don't help the poor. He said, right now, in this moment, she's doing the right thing and serving me. But the truth is, there will always be problems with poverty. There's always going to be people in need and want... I, I read about what's going on in the city of Austin. Austin's kind of a weird town anyways. Uh, they, they put it on shirts, so they own it. But, you know, like the, the, the homeless problem in Austin is a real problem. And, like, to solve the problem, what are you going to do? Right? And the answer always seems to be, like, more, more money, but then you get more money, and then all of a sudden there's another 40 homeless people. And you have to figure out how... How do we, and I don't, I, don't, I don't have solutions to the homeless problem in Austin, Texas. I don't, I don't want y'all to call me and say, well, what's your, what's your solution? I don't have the solution. But more money isn't solving the problem, right? And so, so just because there's a problem out there, uh, it, money isn't always the solution. But guys, we're supposed to be uh, wasteful in our obedience to Jesus Christ, where other people would criticize us because we love Jesus so much. And then the story ends uh, in, in, in verse 10. So right after that, that great sacrifice by this woman, we have Judas. And it says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So we start this story with these men who are scared of Jesus. Powerful people who are scared of Jesus. Then we have this woman who is a no one, literally in the book of Mark. She doesn't even have a name. A no one who gives everything. Gives her most precious possession uh, in honor of Jesus. In, 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 to, to his service. To his thing. And, and she's praised for this crazy amount of obedience. And then we have the disciples who are rebuked for not understanding it. But the main disciple in there, if you read the book of John was Judas, right? When, when, when Mary broke the nard and she's rubbing it on Jesus and wiping it with her hair, right? In that moment when that's happening in the book of John, you have Judas Iscariot named in the book of John and he's like, this is not right. We could have sold that. We could have gotten it. And, and John gives a little note. It's like, Judas was a thief, so he liked the money, right? And so the idea was like, Judas wanted to sell this so that he could, he could put it in the pocket of the ministry fund and then he could help himself to it whenever he wanted to get a bite to eat at Whataburger or whatever like that. He would just take it out of the, out of the sack and, and he would be fine. All right? so we have Judas. So Judas has just watched uh, this woman give everything that she has to Jesus. And then he shows up, the man who, who's been closest to Jesus. He, he is an inner twelve. We, we don't always think of Judas that way right? because he's a Judas, right? He's a bad guy in our story. But he was literally one of the closest people to Jesus Christ. He spent three years with Jesus. When, when Jesus sent the disciples two by two to cast out demons and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, Judas was one of those men, and he probably had a fairly fruitful ministry as he did it. Right? Judas was a big deal in the early, early church, the founding church followers of Jesus Christ right here. That's going on. But you know what happened to Judas? In that moment, that was like the final straw that broke the camel's back. He saw this woman being praised for being wasteful, and he knew Jesus isn't going to do what I want. And once Jesus stopped being what Judas wanted him to be, Judas gave up on him. He was disillusioned by Jesus Christ, and so he betrayed Jesus Christ. He sought to destroy the ministry of Jesus Christ. 
And so he goes to the people he knows who wants to kill Jesus. He says, I can deliver him to you if you'll pay me some money. He wanted the money for the nard. He didn't get it. He said, if you'll pay me some money, I will trade you Jesus for, for 30 pieces of silver. And we'll make the trade right now. And the chief priest said that sounds like a good deal because they were scared of Jesus. And Judas, who was disappointed with Jesus, betrays the one who came to live for his good. You know, and Judas, is there, there's all sorts of people who've been living the Judas life ever since. Um, there, was a, there was kind of a rash of notable Christians uh, who, who uh, lost the faith in the last month. Um, There's a guy named Josh Harris. Josh Harris wrote a really influential book whenever I was a high schooler, um, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Um, He wrote this book, and it was kind of a Christian courtship book, and um, a super popular book. A young guy, when he wrote it, um, went went and took on a pastorate position at a church, kind of faithfully served Jesus Christ, and then in the period of about six days, he um, repudiated his book that made him famous, he left his wife, and he left the faith. And it was about a six-day period that those three things happened uh, for Josh Harris. Notable guy, a well-known evangelical, one of us, walking away from the faith. Just, just a few weeks after that, one of the leaders of Hillsong uh, Worship. Hillsong is a gigantic church in Australia. Uh, a lot of the, Some of the worship songs we sing are Hillsong songs, I assume. Um, but huge worship ministry in Hillsong one of the most influential people in their worship ministry, um, after he has gone through all of this time of, of kind of making Jesus' name great and building his own name up alongside of Jesus, when, G- when he was done with Jesus, he departed. And he apostatized and he called out his face, said, I, you know, I can't believe in this anymore. You have these well-known people walking away from the faith of Jesus Christ, and their situation is the exact same situation that Judas had. They were disillusioned. Jesus wasn't working for them anymore. But you know the truth, guys? Jesus doesn't work for you. Right? He's not here for, for, for you. You're here for him, for his purposes, for his goals, for his causes. He's not here to build you up into a mini-celebrity so that you can experience the great things of life on this side of eternity. And when you use Jesus as a stepping stone to build your life up and you've been standing on Jesus to experience the good things of life, at some point Jesus is going to say, you're not doing what I want you to do. And in that moment you have two choices. You humble yourself and you put yourself below Jesus Christ or you throw Jesus off and say, no Jesus, you're not doing what I told you to do. And you leave Jesus on your own. That's what Judas did. He was with Jesus all the way, and then when Jesus stopped working for him, the ends that Judas had in mind, Judas' end was probably to end up fabulously wealthy uh, underneath the king of Israel, which was going to be Jesus. Jesus would establish himself as king. He would put the 12 guys underneath him as kind of like co-regents or underlings, and they would all be living off of the government graft. And Judas was going to get a big piece of that pie. He wanted that. He wanted to get his, his money from, from that. And when he found out that Jesus wasn't about that life, he said, I, I have no need for him anymore. And he sought to destroy Jesus. And you know what? It looked like he won. Right? It looked like this man who knew Jesus the best, uh, who was in the inner circle for Jesus, Right? it looked like he won because in like, 
oh, a chapter. He's going to hand Jesus over. Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified or tried and crucified. But you know what? You cannot destroy the work of Jesus Christ. No amount of high-profile Christians walking away from the faith can destroy the cause of Jesus Christ. No amount of regular people um, living the everyday life in the church and walking away from the faith can destroy the work of Jesus Christ because Jesus' work will succeed. And Judas thought he was going to destroy the work of Christ. Um, Josh Harris believes that he's on the right side of history as he walks away from the faith. The Hillsong guy believes that he's doing the right thing by dragging the name of Jesus Christ through the mud. But you know what? Jesus will win. Dark days may be here, but Jesus brings dawn every morning. Guys, we don't worry about that. And that's why, as a church, we're called to give generously, borderline wastefully to the cause of Jesus Christ. And I don't just mean to the cause of First Baptist Church Rockdale, though I do mean that. If you're a member of First Baptist Church Rockdale, I want to talk to you just for a second really, really straight. Guys, if you're a member here, you have a responsibility to give generously to this church. You have a responsibility to give sacrificially to this church. And I have that same responsibility. Uh, Two weeks ago, I'll just give a a short little story. Two weeks ago, I wasn't sure we were going to make payroll at our church. And we're still not positive we'll make payroll in the next two weeks. But two weeks ago, it was really touch and go. Like legitimately, Carolyn's running the numbers and and, and, and like, I don't know how this is going to work out. And guys, here's how it's going to work when we don't make payroll. I'm not going to get a paycheck. Right? That's just how it's going to work. And then uh, at some point, probably the next week, we'll, I'll, make, I'll make payroll and I'll get a paycheck. Right? And that's the way that'll work. But, but I got that paycheck and I had it in my hands. And, and this is the first time in four years that I've ever been tempted not to give to the church. Because I have this thing in my hands, and I don't know if the next one's coming on time. Right? I don't know. But, I, but you know, and I'll go through it, and I, well, and I run it in my head a few ways. I'm like, you know, like I'm, I, I give to the church by being at the church. I'm a pastor. And so like, and you start rationalizing things in your head. But you know what? I, I gave off of that check, or right? I gave my tithe off of that check, because I know God is in control, and His, his resources aren't limited. And if my faithfulness slips because I fear the future, uh, I don't have much faithfulness anyways. Right? We give even whenever it leads us into places that look dark. Some of you uh, need to give to the church. Some of you haven't done, and, that, and I know a lot of you are really faithful givers, and so I'm not beating you up. Like if, you have a, if you're a faithful giver of this church, don't tune out, but like just know I'm talking to the person next to you probably, right? But if you're a member here, like, the expectation, part of membership, is that you participate in the ministry of this church. And we're trying to make it as easy as we can for you to be involved with that. And so, like, there's an announcement in the bulletin. There's three ways you can give to this church, right? You can come. We pass a plate. You can give in your Sunday school class every single time, right? You can give uh, just, just, just every week as, as that comes by, or you can give in your Sunday school class. Uh, you can give. Uh, you can mail a check in, right? We've got people who auto-draft out of their bank accounts. Checks come in every month, or I don't know when they come in. Carolyn sees it. I don't even see the money, so I don't know if you give. So I'm yelling at all of you the same. Um, or, or you can give online, right? This just fired up, and this was really just for me, because I have to give cash because I don't trust checks. Some of you really trust checks. I don't trust checks. 
but I do trust the internet more than a lot of you do. Um, and so you can give online, you can give uh, automatic bank transfer, right, straight out of your checking account, and it transfers over um, to the church. And you can go to the church website and click on that, and you can set that up. But if you're a member here, you need to be participating in the life of this church, right? We, we, otherwise, like, you're, you're not doing your part. But when you give, you should give to a point that it hurts. Like Zach said a few weeks ago, sacrificial giving is the goal, right? 5%, 10%, 2%. I don't know what a sacrifice is to you, but it should affect your life. You should, you should have to make some changes to your life as you give to the sake of Jesus Christ. There's other places to give. We have the mission offering, which is right now going on. Give sacrificially to that so that the gospel can go forward. But guys, we need to give from our finances. Now, for the rest of y'all, not church members uh, and church members, you can tune still in. Guys, giving isn't just about money. I, 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 I want to say this real quick. If you're not a member here, I don't really want your money. I'll take it if you give it, but I don't really want your money. Right? You're not a part of this full on. But if you're a member here, I do uh, want you to participate that way. But, but, you know, giving is more than money. Giving is also your time and your talent. And some of us, we, we refuse to even give just a little bit of our time and our talent to, to publicly be known as followers of Jesus Christ. That can happen through ministries of the church. It can happen through um, the Feed Rockdale ministry that we just wrapped up at the end of the summer. It can happen through um, helping out with Wednesday night youth or helping out with Sunday school. Or, or it can happen outside of the church where you go and volunteer at a place like Place of Hope or the Rockdale Christian Services. Um, you can go and serve and make Jesus' name great in our community. There's opportunities for you to get involved in Christian service. Right? And that's a way that we give back to Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us all the same amount of time every day, 24 hours every day. And we're called to live those hours for his sake, for his glory, and for his good. Guys, there's a lot of people out there who will criticize wasteful obedience. They'll say, why would you do that? Why would you give that? Why would you spend all of your time on that? But the truth is, there's no such thing as wasteful obedience to Jesus Christ when we're obedient to him. If the object of your devotion is Jesus Christ, there's no such thing as a wasteful gift to him. And the reason that is, is because he gave this gift that we're going to celebrate right here to us. He gave himself, his body, and his blood for us. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the men to come down and we'll do Lord's Supper together.